Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the national debt. So grab your treasury bonds. And let's get civical. intro and we all know how that goes i mean i really i just i just like you to step outside your box this is what i love about you is like you see me do the intro every time and i always say hello everybody i wait for your hello and then i introduce the show but when you do the hello if you say hello then i say hello and then you just go As though we do not have a pattern of behavior as to what can come next. But I think because I never say, hi, I'm Arden Wolentowski. Welcome back. Oh, sure. I I never, those are not my lines. Right. They can be. Do you want to try it? No, no. This is episode 140. and (laughs) Episode 140 and you cannot introduce the show. No, I don't know my own name well enough to know to introduce the, my art. That's our completely own fine. Oh that's my good. God. If, for those of you who are Arden and new listeners, welcome back <laughs> to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I think I'm Arden Wallentowski. She's She believes she's Arden Wallentowski. And you know what? If you believe it, that's all that matters. That's all that, that matters. That is all that matters. Mm-hmm. I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Believe in Santa. Believe in Santa. Believe it. Honestly, honestly, I'll believe whatever at this point. I'm just looking for greener pastures wherever I can get it. Amen, so you sister. tell me there's Santa. You tell me there's magic. Mm-hmm. You tell me there's aliens. You tell me there's... I'm like, absolutely. Great. Who am I to say that there's not? Exactly. We are but lonely podcast hosts. We are but simple country podcasters who literally... Have no dog in the race. I have no dog in the alien race. I have no dog in the in the in the Santa Claus race, in the Easter Bunny race, in the Tooth Fairy race. The only the only what, Penny, what did you start off that by saying? The only dog that you have in the fight. The only dog, dog. I have in any of those fights is in the alien fights, so that Jodie Foster in contact mm. can be mm. proven right. Correct. Everything we do, we do for Jodie Foster. Uh, yeah. Amen. Amen. A- and 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 the and the congregation said amen. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Again, you know what I love about us? We used to be so good at talking about things before we introduced the episode that had to do with the episode. But we've been in this streak, y'all, where we are just spouting out bullshit (laughs) and then saying, oh, no, we are we are lost without a map to get back to the point. But I I guess I will pivot and say the episode that we're doing today is very special because it is once again a listener requested episode. Heck yeah, listeners. These are like my favorite types of episodes. Mm -hmm. You guys, I can't tell you enough. If you DM us on Twitter and Instagram or you email us at hello at letsgetcivical.com saying, hey, could you do something on this? What'll probably happen is we'll receive the message, go, oh my God, this is the greatest thing that's happened. And then we will do the episode because I want to do what you guys want to hear and Arden wants to do what you guys want to hear. It's so much more fun researching something that somebody else has been like, can you please look into this? I'm like, yes, yeah. honey, I will. Yes. Because yes. especially this topic, like when you sent me oh, this, yeah. I was like, ab-so-fucking-lutely. This Abs-so-fucking-lutely. is a treasure trove and also a wormhole. Like, uh, great. Yep. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yep. So today we are doing a listener requested episode on the national debt. Big topic right now. Big topic sort of this time every year. You know, it's just it's always we're always we're always in debt. The debt ceiling. We're running out of money. Government shutdowns. It's all weirdly intertwined. Yeah. But I never stopped to think like where, where's like the debt coming from? What's a deficit? What are the differences? All of the things. Yeah. Because we owe money. We're in debt. (laughs) it's so funny it's like that that page in people magazine it's like the united states she's just like us she's just like us in debt she's just like us in debt did she go to an ivy league college too (laughs) it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy crazy. so i'm so excited to learn more because i truly know nothing about the the national debt other than number one we're in it we're in we're in national debt yeah. And number two, we we are always doing things legislatively to continue to be in debt. Yes. Yes. And I hopefully, okay, we'll just go through the episode because there were things that like I knew like a little bit about this, but like the debt ceiling thing, I was like, why do we even have this? Like that's an interesting yeah. piece of information. Yeah. We're going to learn a lot on this ride and it's going to mm. be super fun. And I, I feel like... The, so I'll say the sources, the Sir Sharonin sources, but I also mm. feel like like the, the sources that I went to were so easily digestible that I was like, oh, I kind of do understand this now. And great. like, I great. I'm so excited. Hell yeah. So our Sir Sharonin sources are the New York Times, a lovely article by Patricia Cohen from like the recession era. So like, oh, yummy. God bless her. She didn't even have COVID to deal with. But like a great explanation on deficit versus debt. The Council on Foreign Relations has an article by James McBride and Anshu Siri Surapu. They did a really fantastic article called The National Debt Dilemma. And it's uh, posted in the Council on Foreign Relations. Like, so Love. good. And then the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. So good. We, uh, d- desperate for a committee. 
always we always have to have a committee. We're in a committee state of mind right now. So I love that we have one for this. Mm-hmm. So good. Oh, OK. Well, let's jump in because I'm I'm glad we're starting with this, because quite honestly, if you asked me what is the difference between deficit and debt, I'd be like mm, how they're spelled. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to kick us off by explaining the difference between the two. And Great. these notes are coming from the New York Times article and the council on the article that was in the Council on Foreign Relations site. So let's talk about deficit first. The federal deficit tells you how much more money the government spent in a single year than it received in revenue. So we are spending beyond our means. Right. This is all the time. When you have your budget for the month Mm -hmm. and you have your rent and utilities, Mm -hmm. nights out, food, you know, all of that, that is your budget. If you spend more than your budget, that the difference is your deficit. Difference is a deficit. Yes, keep the metaphors going. During the recession, for example, the deficit spiked because the government received less tax revenue as income dropped at the same time it was spending more money for things like unemployment benefits and stimulus programs to revive the economy. Since the end of the recession, the size of the yearly deficit has been declining until, you guessed it, the pandemic. Yep. So deficit, the difference between how much you spend and how much you got, that's Mm -hmm. the deficit. Now let's move on to debt, a word that we all recognize. (laughs) (laughs) The national debt... On the other hand, is the cumulative amount of money that the federal government has borrowed to make up for all those deficits in the previous years. So you can't have debt without deficits. <laughs> True. I just love True, but you could have debt and not a deficit. True. Because you could have old debt. You could have old debt. So you could, the, yeah, you're right. We could have we could have netted out at zero this year, but we right. still have debt but we still from last have, year. Yes, correct. You're right. You're right. Even if the size of the federal deficit or shortfall shrinks from one year to the next, the total national debt will still increase because the government is still borrowing money, just not as much as the year before. So, you know, we're borrowers. We're the borrowers. We're the borrowers. Truly so very American of us. Yeah, I know. And I love it. so just on the U.S. On the news. The government could even have a budget surplus one year where it takes on where it takes in more money than it spends, but still have a sizable national debt that it has built over time. So, yeah, the national debt. I mean, I'm sure we may talk about the exact number, but it is trillions of dollars. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a number that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? No, it's like one of those things where they try and show you the length of it in football fields and you're like, just stop. I can't Just, even. It's big. A hundred football fields still right. beyond my comprehension. We're not going to we're not going to pay it back. We're always going to have debt. <laughs> True. So that's debt. Very yeah. clear. And then there is something that we hear about all the time, which is the debt ceiling, because let's put a roof over our heads with this. The debt ceiling is the legal limit set by Congress on how much the Treasury Department can borrow, including to pay debts the United States already owes. 
Since it was established during World War I, the debt ceiling has been raised dozens of times. I feel like it's raised every year now, but I could be yeah. wrong. It's probably like it every two or like three years. It feels like every year. It, it does feel like, like every year we're talking about the debt ceiling. Yes. yes. In recent years, this once routine act has become a game of political brinkmanship that has brought the United States near default on several occasions. So this right. is what, if you've been seeing the news recently, I think they've settled it and have agreed to do something. Yeah. But yeah. the past few weeks, it's been like the the United States is going to run out of borrowing money on like October 18th or something like that. And right. Congress had to do something to raise the debt ceiling or agree to raise the debt ceiling. But they right. were at a stalemate. And then it was like, are we going to default? Are we not going to default? And then, oh, can you believe it? They came to an agreement to not default. To not default. Because they have, it's like, you have to pay your the creditors. They have to pay the creditors. Right. And so if they start defaulting and not paying their bills, not even to like, not, I mean, to like, to like China and other people who hold like a financial interest in the mm -hmm. United States, if they don't pay mm -hmm. them, then it's just like any, you know, you or me or whatever. If we don't pay our credit card bills month after month, our credit report, our credit score starts yeah. to go down. And it's obviously a different kind of credit score for countries, but right. that's what would happen to the United States. And a lot of the reason why like the United States is people still, even though there is a lot of debt, people mm -hmm. and by people, I mean, countries and, whatever i don't mean individual people but why the united states is still a good investment is because it has a, a, at the moment a, you know a shaky recovering economy but in general like a pretty trustworthy economy and right. like you right. know so relatively it's stable. a safe investment right like it's a, yeah. a fairly low risk but then like if you start if the united states was to start defaulting because we didn't raise the debt ceiling which we couldn't which would mean we couldn't take on more debt to pay the outstanding that then we would default and that would be bad news bears. I, I miss gold. I miss <laughs> blocks of gold. I miss like simpler times. You, you and Rand Paul. I just, I miss it. I miss, I miss trading goats. I miss, Aww. I miss like, I miss chests of treasure known yeah. as treasure chests being put on a ship to go from one country to another country and then it was settled i know i miss the pirates the pirates <laughs> i miss the simpler times now money's invisible i know you can't see it no we don't like the the cash money is like phasing out it's all online it's all like i it's all like i uh, my, apparently, it's just because there are numbers in my bank account. I can do things. It's right. all invisible. I never right. see it. No, I want to. I want blocks of gold in my apartment. <laughs> no, I went to dinner with some friends the other night, and somebody handed me like sixty or yeah, sixty or eighty bucks in cash for their portion of the bill, and I was like, "How do you just happen to have yeah that much?" I am lucky if I have a five dollar bill. Right. Let alone Same. any any kind of coin denomination. Like, are you Coins. kidding me? A nickel? Haven't seen it in years. No. Where is she? Where is she? Yeah. I think they're fake. I think they're fake. I miss simpler times. Mm -hmm. 
Continuing on with the notes, so Roger W. Ferguson Jr., who is an economist with the Council on Foreign Relations and other experts, argue that the debt ceiling should be scrapped entirely. The only other advanced economy to have one is Denmark, Mm -hmm. and it has never come close to reaching its ceiling. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm always like, what's everybody else doing? Are we making things? Are we working harder, not smarter right now? I think so. I think that's exactly what's happening. Once again, we stand alone in the world doing a stupid ass thing. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) Oh, my God. So there are ways of dealing with the debt ceiling. You can probably guess that, like, if you don't have the money for all of the things that you've promised to spend money on and you have to keep borrowing money, there are basically two things you can do. You can stop spending as much or you can try and balance it the other way and make more monies. Really, it's our life's work. (laughs) It's literally it's literally what I have to do every day. It's like, all right. Right. All right. I'm not going to I'm not going to buy stuff this week. Yeah. And then I'm going to take on another job. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'm not going to go out to dinner. I am going to work an extra 80 hours in these two days. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So cutting spending. Most comprehensive proposals to rein in the national debt include major spending cuts, especially for growing entitlement programs, which we will talk about is the large majority of the budget and our main drivers of future spending increases. For instance, the 2010 Simpson-Bowles plan, a major bipartisan deficit reduction plan that failed to win support in Congress, would have put debt on a downward path and reduced overall spending, including military spending. It would also have reduced Medicare and Medicaid payments and put Social Security on a sustainable footing by reducing some benefits and raising the retirement age. Going to hazard a guess? Also why it failed. (laughs) Sure. Every time you try to raise the retirement age, they're like, no, no. No, 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 no. I mean, because... You can't, what do you, you can't, I mean, and it is a hard argument to like take away. Yeah. You know, like if somebody's at, you know, and it, I'm sure it was, there was a phase in, but like, right. For me at the ripe young age that I am now, I have a long time to retirement and so do you, but people who were like, maybe they're 55, hitting right. 60, like, you know, that would be super scary if you're like, what do you mean? I like, what am I supposed to do with this now three year gap? Because you've now made the retirement age 68. Right. You know, like that's that's hard. So I, I I'm not surprised this was not popular. Sure. Cut yeah. military spending and cut all of the help for the old people. Mm. The other option, like we talked about, so cutting spending, the other option is to raise revenue, make more monies. So most budget reform plans also seek to raise tax revenue, whether by eliminating deductions or other tax subsidies raising rates on higher earners, or introducing new taxes, such as a carbon tax, which I feel like it doesn't need to be, like, everybody. everybody's taxes go up 20%. Like, no. sure. May, a, 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 you know, a, a graduated in, increase in taxes based on income bracket, not affecting the people who make no money. You know what I mean? Like, all of that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. And, like, introducing new taxes, yes, carbon tax, great, do it. Like, can't sure. do it. Sure. Why can't not? do it. Right. Because climate change doesn't exist. And there's too much, there's too much oil and gas money in politics. Oh my God. Seriously. Simple period. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's so... Yes, it is disheartening when you see things like that and you're like, oh, it's impossible. Right. It's impossible because there's too much, there's too much lobbying money tied in politics. Yeah. Yeah. And even, not even just lobbying money, but too much self-interest in politics. Like, yes, lobbying money and all of the organizations, but like, there's some, you know, there's there's people who have, I mean, Congress people can have stocks. You know, and trade stocks. There's everybody's acting in their own self interest. Yeah. Nobody's acting on the good of the American people. That's what's that's that's nobody's talking about it. I'm like, you guys. Gosh. You guys. Don't lie. <laughs> so the Simpson Bulls plan, like we talked about before with how they wanted to cut spending, they would have raised more than a trillion in new tax revenue. Great. Excellent. Analysts estimated that the 2017 tax reform, in contrast, will reduce federal revenue by some $1.5 trillion over 10 years. So this is the, let's let the rich people keep all their money mm-hmm. and let's adjust the individual subsidy return, whatever, like the, the amount that you get for your, right, like just being a human in the United States, the reduction right. that you get. Yeah. So that's, so we can fix the debt, like uh, fix the debt ceiling or, or, or uh, the debt in general, by cutting spending yeah. or raising revenue. Seems very simple on paper. Like, seems kind of common sense. Can't do you know, it. Stop going to dinners, take on an extra job. And it doesn't right. have to be forever, but like, then them's the breaks. But, you know, is this going to happen? It didn't. No. Simpson Bulls did not pass. <laughs> so let's talk about where the debt ceiling came from, which yes. I was like, I kind of looked at this and went, what? <laughs> it's most of these things that we find we're like what? i'm sorry pardon moi <laughs> <laughs> why did we do this to pardon? ourselves pardon yeah. pardon prior to establishing the debt ceiling congress was required to approve each issuance of debt in a separate piece of legislation could you even imagine <laughs> i just could you no yes. we don't pass anything i no, can't imagine I was doing a, a approval every time. No, they would be there all day just being like, I, Department of Education, here's your one billion. Here's I, your money. Here's yeah. your monies. Here's your, uh, like, I mean, and not even for like a department, but like, you know, like just the, the individual government. program, like the entire government. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. The debt ceiling was first enacted in 1917 through the Second Liberty Bond Act and was set at $11.5 billion to simplify the process and enhance borrowing flexibility. I really don't think they needed to, like, you could have just said, we don't want to do it this way anymore. But I don't know that they needed to put a debt ceiling on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I completely agree. I was like, yes, this isn't working, what we're right, doing currently. Right. And we put in a solution that is not real. It created another problem. Right. One that we're still dealing with nearly a century later. I would say over a century later. Oh, right. We're in 2021. If you do Jesus the math. Christ. Literally, it's my first <laughs> cup of coffee. I was like, that's uh, about 100 years. Over yeah. a century. Yeah. Oh, my God. In 1939, Congress created the first aggregate debt limit covering nearly all government debt and set it at $45 billion, about 10% above the total debt at the time. So they gave That's themselves insane. a buffer. They gave themselves sure. a buffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. 
Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So this is what we were talking about at the top of the episode. But what happens if the debt, if the U.S. hits the debt ceiling? Mm-hmm. Right? Also, the concept of a debt ceiling is like a little ridiculous because you're like, again, take it to like your own personal finances. Like what would be like, what would you even base your debt ceiling on? Like the amount of credit that you have I guess, available I, I guess to like you? The, like, the closest thing I think we would have is you're right, like a credit line. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you know, like every credit card has a, an amount of money that you can right. spend on it. Right. And so when you hit that, I guess you hit your metaphorical debt ceiling. debt ceiling. But it's even – that's even a stretch, you know? Yeah. So it's not even something that really exists in our – No. Actual lives. But – No. It exists in the United States of America federal it government. It sure does. It sure does. So once the government hits the debt ceiling and exhausts all available extraordinary measures, which is what they're called, it is no longer allowed to issue debt. So they can no longer be like, can we borrow $20? We'll pay you back, yeah. I swear. Yeah. And then we're in default. So the extraordinary measures, this is their, this is the deal with those guys. When the debt limit is reached, the Treasury Department uses a variety of accounting maneuvers, mm. extraordinary measures, to avoid defaulting on the government's obligations. We're moving columns. We're shifting money. Yeah, they're, we're, they're playing with the books. We're playing with the books. Yeah. For example... The Treasury has prematurely redeemed Treasury bonds held in federal employee retirement savings accounts and replaced them later with interest. They have halted contributions to certain government pension funds. They've suspended state and local government series securities 
and borrowed money set aside to manage exchange rate fluctuations. So they're like, they're dipping into like, like little honey pots that they've yes. set around for themselves. Yes. You know, yes. like, oh, I was gonna buy, oh, I was gonna buy a new couch with this money, but now I'm gonna use it to pay for my debt. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love maneuvering around I love maneuvering. the books. And it's not even like I'm gonna I'm gonna use this money that I have set aside to pay off my that I've set aside for my couch to pay off my debt. It's like I'm going to take Lizzie's couch mm-hmm. <laughs> and sell it. Yep. And then make money on it. And then I'll give it back to her. I'll give her the money back with like an extra twenty bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's so crazy. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary measures. Extraordinary measures. The Treasury Department first used these measures in 1985, and they have been used on at least 15 occasions since then. So basically every other year. Yeah. We're using the jaws of life on the to national get us out debt. Of this. Yeah. So after they've gone through all the extraordinary measures, at that point, given annual deficits, incoming receipts will be insufficient to pay millions of daily obligations as they come due. Therefore, the federal government will have to at least temporarily default on many of its obligations were we to hit the debt ceiling from Social Security payments and salaries for federal civilian employees and the military to veterans benefits, utility bills, among other things. So we start to default. We literally have no money to like pay the old people their social security right right or pay veterans or pay <laughs> or like pay literally veterans. anybody no, that we can't, no no matters <laughs> no no a default or even the perceived threat of one could have serious negative economic implications an fair. actual fair yes if i def- if we stop paying our credit cards and we don't pay them or there we don't pay our student loans. There are repercussions when you go to buy a car, a house. You mm-hmm. look like a poor risk. They're not going to want mm-hmm. to give you a loan, a credit card, a line of credit, any of those things. Anything. An actual default would royal global financial markets and create chaos since both economic and international markets depend on the relative economic and political stability of U.S. debt instruments and the U.S. economy. So not only are we playing this game, we're like, everybody else is like sitting on top of us. Like we're yeah. the the structure. And if we topple, everybody else falls off. The whole, it's a, it's a trickle effect. Everybody yeah. feels it. Every country then has, you know. Yeah. Because everybody. Struggling economy. Like it's all yeah. impacted. Because a lot of what they, like they're. Oh, I think it's in here somewhere, but like the base currency or like the common, you know, one of the common currencies in most countries is the dollar, like what they Mm -hmm. hold, you know? Yeah. So if so, if we were to actually default, interest rates would rise and demand for treasuries would drop as investors stop or scale back investments in treasury treasury securities if they are no longer considered a perfectly safe investment, thereby increasing the risk of default. So like, then it becomes a domino effect. We're no longer like we default on the debt. People start to get scared. Things start to happen. Markets start to fluctuate. It all starts to go bad. And then people don't want to put money into the U.S. Mm-hmm. So the way so we can't even take on money to like get out of this situation. Right. And it's just it's, it's a domino effect. 
even the threat of defaulting during a standoff in Congress increases borrowing costs. So like, so literally like what just happened? <laughs> what just happened when Congress was like, I don't know, maybe, yeah. we'll maybe see. we'll do it. We'll, we'll see. see. Like, maybe take me to dinner and then we'll talk about it. That is not good because it looks like there's no, right. There's a, there's, because all of that can, like, not all, but a lot of economics is about perceived risk. Right. So if like the people in Congress are like, I don't know, maybe we won't do it this time. Then like, yeah, people are going to rightly get scared and kind of freak out and be like, what if you don't do it? Right. Right. What if you don't do it? Let me tell you the the list of things that happen if you don't do it. Bad look. Number one, we can't pay the old people. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, the veterans. No pay. No pay. Oi. Oi. So let's talk about the question on everybody's mind, which is how in God's name did we get literally here with all this national debt, with all the deficit? Because to me, it's just something that's always existed, but it didn't always exist. There's been obviously a journey to where we are now. So let's talk about first the before times. The before times. The United States has run annual deficits, which is spending more than the Treasury collects, almost every year since the nation's founding. Starting <laughs> so off strong. So it's truly, it's patriotism. Mm-hmm. The period since World War II, during which the United States emerged as a global superpower, is a good starting point to which to examine modern debt levels. I mean, that makes sense. Like, I feel like from World War II onwards, we were a completely different country, world, entity, etc. Yes, agreed. So defense spending during the war led to unprecedented borrowing, with the debt skyrocketing to more than 100% of gross domestic product, or the GDP, in 1946. Measuring both deficits and debt as a proportion of GDP is a standard way of comparing spending over time since it automatically adjusts for inflation, population growth, and changes in per capita income. Yeah. So instead of like, like if you just use the hard numbers, it would be askew because... Right. You have to adjust. You have to adjust because 20 bucks in... 1946 is not 20 bucks now right whereas if you do it as a percentage of the same as a percentage of of gdp which then is the same kind of number then you're comparing apples and apples as as opposed to like apples and turnips (laughs) you're welcome i love it (laughs) over the next 30 years sustained economic growth gradually reduced the debt as a percentage of the economy despite wars in Korea and Vietnam and the establishment of Medicare and Medicaid. So we were doing like pretty okay. Like yeah, we were okay for a while. Wars and all and yeah. social programs and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Overall debt as a percentage of GDP bottomed out in 1974 at 24%. 24%. So we yeah. went from more than 100% to 24%. Not bad. Yeah. We did pretty Not well. Bad. Yeah. And then we get into sort of modern times. So beginning in the 1980s, ballooning defense spending and sweeping tax cuts ushered in a new period of rising debt. During the 1990s, a combination of tax increases and defense cuts and an economic boom reduced the debt as a percentage of GDP. And starting in 1998, brought four consecutive years of budget surpluses 
the first such streak in 40 years. Yes. This was what Bill Clinton would call like the internet mm-hmm. boom. Mm-hmm. So this yep. is the Clinton era. Yep. Deficits returned under President George W. Baby Bush, who oversaw a period of tax cuts, war spending in Afghanistan and Iraq, and major new entitlements such as Medicare Part D. Annual deficits hit record levels, more than $1 trillion under President Barack Obama, who, in response to the Great Recession, continued the Bush administration's bank bailout program and provided hundreds of billions of dollars in fiscal stimuluses. So this was like the big recession that Obama took on and towards the end of his presidency we were getting out of. Then, of course, COVID-19 hit. So we were on the up and up. Everything was looking better. The debt was better. Spending was better. The economy was recovering. And, of course... I mean, and then we had Donald Trump and, and his tax cuts. I that, that, that Like, insert that history right. line I think there, because the, that's the actually The tricky thing, important. I think, about the Trump presidency is that I don't even think we were fully able to see any effects of... Yeah. Or any major effects of any sort of the tax cut plan legislation because COVID-19 came. And, right. you know, like, it, we'll never know. He could, it, could have, it could have been a boom. It could have been an absolute catastrophe. But COVID-19 came and, you know, changed the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, in response to the pandemic... The federal government spent trillions of dollars to boost the economy, including on stimulus checks for citizens and aid for businesses and state and local governments. So the PPP programs, the stimulus checks, um, they had federal unemployment um, that you could collect along with state unemployment during the height of the pandemic. A lot of money, a lot of money. According to the Congressional Budget Office, these measures swelled the federal deficit to $3.1 trillion in 2020, which was about 15% of the GDP and the highest levels since World War II. Yeah. So we're, we're back in war times, which, I yeah. mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> we're fighting a war. It's just a very different The war, enemy is a war on very COVID. small. Very micro. Very small and almost invisible. Invisible, invisible. enemy. Even before the pandemic, though, the Congressional Budget Office projected that annual deficits would breach the $1 trillion mark in 2020 and remain above that level indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, we're just, we're spending in a way that, like, it's only going to keep rising. Right. We're not changing enough. No, we're waiting for the day that we, like, sell a screenplay. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. We're waiting for the day that like our TikTok just like really tips, you know, really takes off. Right. So just a few little comments about the budget. Like, why is it so big? Mm-hmm. What does our future look like as you dot s dot? And who holds our debt? Like, who are our yeah. credit- creditors? Who, who do we they? owe money to? So the budget, emergency spending aside, so like basically pandemic and natural disasters. Most of the federal budget goes toward entitlement programs such as Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Unlike discretionary spending, which Congress must authorize each year through the appropriations process, 
Entitlements are mandatory spending, which is automatic unless Congress alters the underlying legislation. So everything else is like, you they have to approve the budget. They have like yeah. discretionary spending is anything that's just anything that fluctuates. Whereas like these right. programs are in place and in a right. way that's really good. Like that's like people have come to expect these checks. They've come to expect this money. They live off of this yeah. money. They wouldn't yeah. be able to survive without this money. Like right. I've been making jokes that like we pay the old people, but they like they we have social security for a reason. Like the, the elderly had no way of getting an income, right? Back in the day, and so we created social security so that they wouldn't like have to live on the streets. Like that is mm-hmm. a, good, a fundamentally good thing. But the program, like these three programs, are like a large majority of. The, I mean, not a large. I mean, they they're like. I think it's like a large 40% portion of, of the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In 2019, only 30% of federal spending went toward discretionary programs, with defense spending taking up roughly half of that. Love. Yeah. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And when you think of it like that, if only 30% of federal spending went towards discretionary programs, meaning everything else is entitlement programs, and mm-hmm. half of that, so 15% is military spending. You're talking about like cutting the 15%. You've got like 15% of the budget to play with. Mm-hmm. And like, that's why it's always let's cut Sesame Street. <laughs> right. God. Leave like, him alone. Oh my God. But like, what? I, I mean, we've got to have a fix. So what does our future look like in U.S. <laughs> It's, it's, it's grim. Tell me, like. please. Like, <laughs> tell, tell Sesame Street. <laughs> oh my God. The main drivers, so like in projections for future budgets the, and, and uh, deficits in the debt, the main drivers are still mandatory spending programs, a la Social Security, the largest U.S. government program, and Medicare and Medicaid. Their costs, which currently account for nearly half of all federal spending, are expected to surge as a percentage of GDP because of the aging U.S. population and resultant ri- rising health expenses. Yet corresponding tax revenues are projected to remain stagnant. We're not adjusting enough. We're not adjusting enough. We're o- like we're only going to keep spending money. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean the the baby boomers. I mean now is the they're they're elderly now, and they require like medical care is not cheap. I mean that's also something yeah. that like could like the insurance industrial complex like. Sure. Is it really? Well, it's all like, tied, right? You know, like it's all tied. Like, do we need to spend this much on Medicare and Medicaid? Well, you could probably cut some certain percentage of costs if we had a situation, like if we had a healthcare system that functioned more like one of the other like meccas of healthcare. You know, right. where like it didn't cost you a thousand dollars to like get your fingers pointed. Exactly. Meanwhile, interest payments on the debt, which now account for nearly ten percent of the budget are expected to rise while discretionary spending, including programs such as defense and transportation is expected to shrink as a proportion of the budget. So we will take on more debt and need more money to pay that debt, which means we will have less money to pay for Big Bird. (laughs) God, (laughs) we don't have money. The moral of the story is we don't have money. We no. have the promise of money. No, we have no. a we have a good personality. Yes, we have and a pretty we face. We are, we are breakfast at Tiffany's. We are mm-hmm. Holly Golightly. Yes, you know we we have two nice dresses and mm-hmm. spunk and yeah. people wanna lavish us. Uh huh. 
We work approximately from 10 to 1, Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then we party all weekend. Heck yeah. So let's talk about who holds the national the, the national debt, the U.S. debt. would love to know. I know. It ain't me. It's not me. It's not me. The bulk of U.S. debt is held by investors who buy treasury securities at varying maturities and interest rates. So you buy a security and it matures in two years. And I'm making this up. Maybe the interest rate is like 3%, whatever. I have no idea what the interest rates are, but like, or you could have one for like 10 years and it's 5%, something like that. This includes domestic and foreign investors, as well as both governmental and private funds. Foreign investors, mostly governments, hold more than 40% of the total U.S. debt. By far, the two largest holders of treasuries or of treasury securities are China and Japan, which each have more than $1 trillion in oh U.S. treasury God. securities. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I that's love why, it. Like, that's why, like, when, when people are, like, you know, we're, we're at the brink of risking default, it's like, okay, if we default, then those treasury securities mean absolutely garbage. And yeah. then China starts to fall. They're bigger than us. Yeah. And like, you know. The whole like, world collapses. The whole, it collapses. So the idea that we're not going to raise the debt ceiling is just absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And it doesn't stop us from like spending the money because we've already committed to spending the money. Right. So like either whether it's whether it's through the entitlement programs or because it's towards the debt. Like, we, so I don't know. It's just I think the debt ceiling is ridiculous. I'm going to go out on a limb. Go out on a limb and, and say, say it's ridiculous. It's a you say it. Ridiculous. You heard it here first, people. It's, it's ridiculous. For most of the last decade, China has been the largest creditor of the United States. Apart from China, Japan, and the UK, no other country holds more than $500 billion in U.S. treasuries. Gotcha. So those are the three tiers, China, yep. Japan, and the United Kingdom. Yeah? Yeah. 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 I love it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, let's end this on my favorite thing in the world, which is fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. And we just have a one little cute fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going all the way back in time on January 8th, 1835. All the big political names in Washington gathered to celebrate what president and asshole of the country andrew jackson had just accomplished a senator rose to make the big announcement and i quote gentlemen the national debt is paid end quote the huzzas rose up around the halls of congress or you know big celebrations (laughs) This was the one time in U.S. history where the country was debt-free mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1835. Yep, that year. We had actually paid off all of our debt, which has never happened and never happened before or after. And it lasted exactly, you guessed it, one year. <laughs> Just one. And since then, we've been arguing about the debt ever since issuing treasury bonds along the way. So one lonely year in this nation's history, we were debt free. Yeah. Debt free, honey. That is a fun fact. That is a fun fun fact. fact. It's a fun fact. That's why, you know, like there are people who 
you know, run for election on like, let's address the debt. I'm like, honey, you and all honey. the people who came before you, like, it is an 1835. This CP. is not a new problem. No huzzahs will be ringing around Congress. No. I no. promise you. Oh my God. I mean, yes, I agree. Like, let's, it's, it's, there are issues we have to address, but like, the idea that we're going to like handle the debt when we haven't done it in, I'm going to go on a limb and do this math, like 180 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. So cute. I love it. So cute. So yeah. cute. Just like the national debt. Yeah. That is our episode on the national debt. So thank you to our sweet, sweet listener for giving us this idea and asking for this episode. I think we learned a lot. I learned a lot mm-hmm. about uh debt and deficit and the debt ceiling and and walking away from this thinking well it'll just keep going it will just keep spending and we'll just keep getting in debt yeah so if you like what you heard or you want to request your own episode please follow us at let's get civical on twitter and instagram as always please rate us review us subscribe to us We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.